Three, two, one, zero. Home games, away games, games on the moon, it don't matter. We gotta win all of them. Liftoff. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for Kyle Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Layup Line. I'm your host, Kyle Radke, and I'm here. This is this is star studded. We got all the stars. We got Julian Andrews. We got Katie Davidson. Um, the true Rihanna heroes here. I heard Rihanna was. <laughs> well, she she got kicked off. Uh, Rihanna yeah. got kicked off. Um, we had it was like the Zoom rule after thirty minutes. Um, oh yeah, yeah. So she it didn't is make true. Any, after there's a rule that after thirty minutes, Rihanna can't be on your. She can't be on your Zoom call. I I don't make the rules. Um, thanks for joining me, guys. Obviously, um, bigger things going on in, in in the world and certainly the nation and uh, you know absolutely Minnesota than basketball, but um. Here we are talking about basketball nonetheless, because that, that is our job. So um, totally understand if, if you're not ready to talk about basketball. Um, today, uh, or this week rather, we launched our roster reviews uh, on Wednesday. Uh, we covered Malik Beasley and on Friday, uh, which, which would be tomorrow if, if, if you're listening to this on, on Thursday night or something, but it would be um, Nas Reed. Uh, Katie, you wrote both of them. Um, so pretty much people are just going to assume that you write everything over at Timberwolves.com, which isn't really far off. Um, you, you do a lot of writing, a v- very good article from yesterday's, um, press conference with Gerson Rosas and, and Ryan Saunders, uh, and, and their leadership through, throughout, uh, George Floyd's mur- murder in, uh, Minneapolis. So go read that if you haven't yet. Um, but, but let's talk about Malik Beasley. So super interesting, uh, season, obviously for the Timberwolves and, um, you know, you can talk about they won't be one of the eight teams in, in Florida, which we will talk about later in, in a different article about maybe what the Timberwolves can do this offseason. But, but like a, a big reason why the Timberwolves are in the position they're in with, with like if you look at the, the, the talent on the roster and like compare them to the other seven teams that won't be finishing the regular season, the Timberwolves roster stands out a lot. And that's because of the work that Kirsten Rosas and his staff did at the trade deadline. The first move was made the night before the trade deadline. Uh, and it was like, I don't know where, I don't know what you guys were doing. I wasn't with you. Obviously it was like 1130 at night. Um, but like all of a sudden you start getting these woge bombs and I, I think all of us were like, okay, are the wolves going to get D'Angelo Russell? And it kind of got to that night and we're like, no, probably not. But then all, you know, the, the, the big trade happened where, where the wolves sent Robert Covington to Houston and um, it was like 85 players uh, 45 teams. I think there were some G League teams involved. I think the Cincinnati Bengals threw, threw in a picker player. Um, yeah, the Fort Wayne Mad Ants, I think, actually got traded to Cincinnati. They got traded, yeah. For, and for like, the Bengals. Joe Burrow was involved. It was, it was crazy. Um, but the Timberwolves ended up with Malik Beasley, Wancho Hernan Gomez, and um, the Nets' first-round pick, among other things, in that trade. Um, and, and Malik Beasley was a guy that we, we saw in flashes in Denver, but we, I mean, um, you know, before being traded, he averaged 18 minutes per game and, and right around eight points per game. But then in 14 games with the Timberwolves, and I get it's a, it's a smaller sample, sample size, but um, I mean, he, he almost doubled his minutes per game and he averaged 21 points, five rebounds, and uh, he shot 43% from the three-point line. So Katie, you wrote about him, but could, could have Malik Beasley played any better for what Timberwolves fans may have expected from him? No, I really don't think so. Um, he just, I remember at the press conference and everyone um, probably remembers this, but how he said, 
that just stick with us and we want to be the best team in the West. And of course, like that's big talk. Um, but he, when he did play and get it for his 14 games with us, he tried to live up to that as much as possible. And he was just so confident and just so explosive and really fun to watch. Um, I, obviously he's trying to um, fight for a contract right now, but I just, he's really lived up to his word so far and that's really exciting to see. I think the way the Timberwolves acquired uh, Beasley was like the most fascinating thing because clearly that like he was a player that Gerson Rosas in the front office had, had scouted and, and kind of targeted because otherwise you just don't, you don't go after a player like him um, without thinking that he could turn into something like this. It wasn't like the, the Covington trade wasn't one of those deals. It just was like a desperation trade because you thought you had to get rid of Covington, the Timberwolves. Um, it looked like they thoroughly kind of looked at all their options and, um, and, and Beasley obviously was that guy and he's a restricted free agent and, and the Timberwolves have a decision to make, but uh, Julian, like for you, what does that say about Minnesota scouting and, and the players that they're willing to go get? Cause it, it's kind of an outside the box approach. Yeah. I think to some extent it's an outside the box approach. Can you guys hear me? Okay. All right, cool. Um, to the listeners of the pod, they both just gave me thumbs <laughs> up. Um I think what it says about Minnesota's approach is that they don't believe that players who it's like they, they know that they can turn rotational kind of bench pieces from other teams into starters. Um, and I think it also says a lot about how kind of like how Beasley, like the type of role that Beasley is going to be successful in. And I think it's kind of a, a hallmark of front smart offices to be able to say like, we think this guy is being, misutilized somewhere else and if we bring him into our system and utilize him in a different way he'll be better um and i know that there are a lot of like stats on beasley for like when he played more uh he did better in denver even um but i think like you know the long and short of it is, is that beasley seems to be kind of a rhythm player um especially when it comes to like outside shooting um and although his he definitely has an ability to make an impact immediately because he plays so hard and hustles and all that. Um, and so I think that that's, you know, that's the type of skill set that you can kind of turn it, like uh, use in a bench role. But at the same time, you do have players who are just not suited to being bench roles and are not suited to like not knowing when their minutes are going to come. Um, and I think in Denver, even in the games where he did play a lot, it's like, you know, he never knew if he was going to get his minutes. Whereas like in Minnesota, he knew every night that he was going to be playing, you know, 30, 35 minutes a game. And I think for a young player, just like having that confidence up front um, is very, 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 very important. Um, and, you know, players can change. It's not like if the, you know, if Beasley eventually becomes a role player for the Wolves or somewhere else, um, it's not like he's doomed. But I think that being able to identify players that are not in the best situation on other teams and then see how that they, they might be able to switch those roles up when they get into the building for the Wolves, I think is a really important part of kind of in, inner, inner NBA scouting. Yeah, you're certainly, you're certainly right about the minute thing. And, and that was like one of the, the, the most fascinating things that after the trade happened, when writing about him, it was like, if he plays 20 you know, more minutes per game, like, and, and obviously like it's easy to look at his points, rebounds, assists, and those things all should go up when, when your minutes go up. But it was his efficiency, his field goal percentage and his three-point percentage would would both go up and, and like his PR, PER would go up and and that's rare to see because I think with, with a lot of those guys 
um, when, you, when, when you play 18, you, you can look at this both ways, right? If you play 18 minutes per game or, or you know, 18 to 20, um, it's easier to get that 40 to 44%. But also like if you, if you go on a slump, like those numbers are going to look really bad. So I have a question and this can go for either one of you. Like I look at Denver's team and, and I get like both, both, Beasley and, and Hernan Gomez are restricted free agents. And if you're Denver, you say, okay, we're probably not going to be able to pay them um, the amount of money that, that they probably deserve with, with uh, Jamal Murray and, and Jokic on the team. But like, and they also got a first round pick from the Rockets, which is like in this draft, it's going to be, I mean, I don't want to call a first round pick useless, but like, it's like you're, you're the odds it's not of that hit- functionally different from uh, yeah a second yeah. round pick or, yeah, yeah like the odds of you hitting on a pick from 25 to 30 it's pretty tough to do um especially for a franchise that's trying to win right now so i just don't understand like and we'll talk about hernan gomez in a later podcast but even if you think that beasley doesn't do great in a bench role or he could do better with more minutes doesn't it just like seem like they should have kept him for for depth purposes like this is a team that's like trying to like they, they almost got to the western commerce finals last year like they're they're trying they're a title contender like i think they, they begin the season at like 14 to 1 odds which was like fifth in the league like why get rid of players that could help you win now for 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 pieces that could help you in the future i i just don't get it for a team that wants to win right now i mean katie i'm sure you have stuff to add on this but i'll just say quick I mean, we know that rotations shorten in the playoffs, right? And so if you have players that you don't think you're going to be bringing back and you also know that your rotations are about to shorten in the playoffs um, and you like Monte Morris at the point guard more than you like Beasley and you like uh, Michael Porter Jr. more kind of at the at the wing than you like uh, Hernan Gomez, I understand moving them to get value. Um, I also think that there's a point to be made about building equity with players and agents um, for Denver and having Denver be, you know, a team that says like, if we're not going to play you and you're a young player and you're not going to fit into kind of our vision, we'll try to get you somewhere where you can play. And, and I think that that type of action does lead to good perception for your team among players and agents. Um, And so I think that that's really valuable. I think like, obviously, you know, running a, I've never run an NBA team personally, but it's a very, very complicated uh, process. And so it's not just about what are you going to do just like for this season. And in this case for Denver, I actually, I didn't hate the move. I like the move a lot for Minnesota, but I, I do understand why Denver did it because, you know, you want to, you want to like make roles clear in your locker room headed into the postseason, And I think it's hard to do that when you have such depth. Um, especially in players that externally are kind of hard to pick apart. Um, you know, when you have players that are like pretty close in skill level, that can be difficult. So, you know, I'm, I'm sympathetic to what they did. Katie, um, the, like the Timberwolves backcourt looks great, right? You have Russell and Beasley. Um, it'd be really, really good if, if you didn't have to play any defense. Um, unfortunately for the Timberwolves, that's something they have to do. Uh, obviously, like you, in, in your piece with Beasley, you touched on the offensive um, just kind of the, the, I guess the ceiling that's, that this team has, and it, it, it like, it's pretty much through the roof. And I, th- I think we saw that um, dur- during their limited time together, but what are the challenges ahead defensively? If, if the Timberwolves indeed to in, indeed to uh, agree to uh, extend Beasley as a restricted free agent with, with him and Russell in the backcourt. I mean, both of those players have not been known for 
their defensive prowess um, this far in their career. But I just think with Beasley, it was really telling um, that the one media availability that he had on Zoom must have been almost a month ago, over that probably now. There's no time anymore. It's just... Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Two months ago, maybe. Who knows? But um, he just said, like, he called himself out and said, I know I'm not a good defensive player right now. And he talked about how he's watched film on his own and gone back and watched other players who he wants to model his defensive game after. And I just think that's really huge, um, especially character-wise, because not a lot of NBA players are always willing to just call out themselves and say what they need to work on like that. And defense has been a struggle for this team for a long time. So if you can bring in that mentality and keep yourself and your teammates accountable, maybe there will actually be some change um, on the defensive side of things. But uh, yeah, it is a concern right now. And I think, again, the off season is, this is really challenging. How are you supposed to like add to your defensive, um, your team defense when you don't know when you're actually going to be able to get into uh, the facility altogether, but we'll see. I mean, yeah, I totally agree. And I think like the thing is, is that I think, I think a lot of times like the public perception is that defense is like something you're born with and offense is something that you learn. Um, and I don't think that's necessarily true. Um, like I think we have seen a lot of players um, really improve on the defensive end over the course of their career. So I think if you're like recognizing it as a deficiency and you have the kind of natural athletic ability that would allow you to become a good defender, which Beasley does have. Uh, I don't think there's any reason given work why he shouldn't be able to become a good defender. Um, you know, there's like things you can do with your footwork. There's like, there, there is work that you can, can do. Um, and I totally agree with Katie. It's definitely a harder thing to improve. Um, than just like your your jump shot for instance but at the same time like you know these are nba teams like that when they have drills they have like techniques you know so i i would not be shocked to see beasley come in and at least have a better understanding of what he needs to what needs to work on on the defensive end because like identifying like where exactly your deficiency is is half the battle like it's easy to say i'm not a good defensive player but then what does that mean like is your footwork wrong are you do foul too much? Are you like caught out of position? Do you not understand the defensive scheme? So like there are a lot of reasons to not be a good defensive player. Just like not being able to finish at the rim is a different problem than not being able to hit a three-point shot. So I think we kind of tend to lump defense as one thing and then offense as like all these nuanced things. Um, but, you know, I think that there, there are tangible things you can do to improve specific parts of your defense. And if you're committed, like Beasley seems to be, seems very doable one additional thing is just I don't know what his role was defensively in Denver um and obviously in Minnesota he's not going to be like the go-to defender that Josh Kogi and probably Jared Culver are going to be um right now but if he is told like you can't slack on this and there is accountability there for him I think that would probably uh drive him to focus on it a little bit more too but well, I mean, and Julian, you brought up a good point with the, uh, like, defense. It's easy. I think that the offense and defense are probably equally as easy to improve. You just don't see the payoff immediately defensively as you do offensively. And and, and I think that's that's one of the things where 
if you say, okay, we're, we're going to get a guy that can shoot 44% from the three-point line and average 20 points per game, um, or you're going to say, hey, we're going to get this guy that's going to, instead of James Harden scoring 38 tonight, James Harden's going to score 32. And like, that's I, the thing. Yeah. I get that it doesn't seem like a big deal, um, but it is another thing. And Katie, to your point, um, like with, I think with Beasley and, and Russell, it actually works out well on this roster that um, it doesn't work well that they're, they're not great defenders right now, but it works well that the team does have a Kogi and Culver. Cause I think that opens up things for Ryan Saunders to, um, and, and I think Culver and a Kogi, um, and uh, you know, I'll say this about Culver. His rookie season was not ideal, certainly, but he's a lot better of a defender than I thought he was. And, and offensively, he has a ways to go. And Okogi took a step offensively, I think, this season. Um, but but he's a very good defender. Um, and I think if you kind of switch those roles, and I'm not saying like you have Beasley come off the bench, but if you can stagger Russell or Beasley with that second unit and have Culver in as, as the um, you know lead perimeter defender, I, I think you're in a good spot. Um Let's go into the risk here because you, you trade for a restricted free agent and restricted free agency is crazy, right? I, like Zach Levine, uh, you know, good for him. But, but when he tore his ACL with, with the Timberwolves, the, you know, he still ended up getting like the, the four-year $80 million deal with the Bulls. Um, restricted free agents make a lot of money. And then I remember like Nikola Pekovic, it was, um, I don't even know how long ago that was, 2014. It, it didn't seem like there were any other offers out there and the Timberwolves signed him to a four-year, $60 million deal, um, which they certainly didn't have to do, but it, it was good business. I think his agent was the same as Kevin Love's agent at the time. But that's not here nor there. Um, like, I, I hate to say this, but, like, as far as, like, the, the cap space goes, do you wish that maybe, like, maybe Beasley averaged 17 points per game and, and shot 36% for the three? You know, like, it seems like he performed so well – that the Timberwolves are going to be put in a very difficult position where, um, and, and, you know, maybe they're, they're totally happy signing him to whatever contract is thrown his way, but you are put in a very tough position because you only saw him for 14 games. We don't know what their off season is going to look like um, to be around him more. And all of a sudden it's like, Hey, you know, you saw this guy playing your team for three weeks, um, hand him over X amount of money and make him the third highest player in your team. Like that, that that's risky. That, that, that's a tough decision. Yeah, I think it helps, too, that the cap is going to be lowered um, this offseason, too. So maybe there won't be as much of a market for him. I don't know. But again, like you said, it his numbers were very significant and will stand out. Um, so again, we'll see. But I, don't know I think that everyone like understands that it was a small sample size. And I understand the like leverage and negotiations angle of this. Um, but also you have to kind of remember that, you know, this is not the first time the Wolves are looking at this guy, you know, like there is more information other than just the games he played with the Wolves. Um, and you kind of have to trust your scouts at this point, which it seems like Gerson really does. Um, and, you know, and as our boy Scott Layden would say, we have the best scouts. in the We league. have the best scouts. Um, so Layden, big scout guy, <laughs> huge scout guy. Um, so you gotta, I don't know, you gotta trust the scouts. You, you know, you gotta like, you you know, you do have a certain amount of information about Beasley that you can get from his like stats and analytics and from watching him play in practice and in games with this team. And then you also have, you know, you can use that information to project a little bit. And so it's not like, I don't know, there isn't perfect information on him, but you know, you always want more information than you have. And 
sometimes, you know, sometimes you gotta like either take a risk one way or another. And so I think there is like, there is inherently a level of risk here, but there's an inherent level of risk in signing any free agent or restricted free agent. Like we know more about Beasley than we would if he wasn't on the team, you know? So I, I think that like, it's an interesting conversation, but you also just have to remember that like with any roster decision, there's like a especially involving a young player, there's a certain level of risk that you just have to accept. I think, sorry, I agree with all those points too. Um, One other risk. And again, the, I think uh, the possibility of him, I think the risk is lower than the potential, but um, just, he hasn't, we haven't seen him play alongside Cat, and what I said about how much I enjoyed watching him be so um, aggressive and explosive, and he, every time he has the ball, he wants to score. So how how do you translate that once one of the most efficient players in the game returns to your lineup? And I think maybe once he does have um, – once he's not a free agent, maybe that will be toned down a little bit. And just when you have um, – I would assume that he knows – how important Cat is to this team, but how do those two mesh offensively? Because it seemed like Russell was really good at sometimes deferring to him. Um, so I'm just curious how it'll look once Cat's back, but as we all are. So. As we all are, um, certainly. Uh, another thing, just on like the restricted free agents, seeing everything like, and, and Julian, we've talked about this plenty of times before. I always find it so interesting and, and it, by all accounts, it seemed like Beasley is a, a, a good locker room guy. He's a good fit. He brings kind of a little edge and tenacity that maybe the team didn't have before. Um, and according to James Johnson, he's not a fake gym rat, which is better than a, a fake gym rat, which Julian people call you that all the time. Um, but, but like one thing to, to throw in here is just like fit matters off the court as well. And, in basketball more than anything. And I, like, I'm not saying that, that Beasley doesn't fit. I think he fits very well, but that's one thing like you always have to, to, to throw into this because in basketball, like chemistry on the court is more important than any other sport. I, I, I think like football, um, like teams were like trying to sign Antonio Brown, like late into last season after we knew he was like, not right. You know, like in the NBA, I don't think that would ever happen because they knew that it would just, it, they, they would know that it would just tear your team apart. So, um, that's my final point. I'm Malik Beasley. Um, unless you guys have any, uh, closing statements. I just want to throw something in there. I think you're totally right about fit. And I think that that, um, is, uh, amplified on defense. And we're talking a lot about defense um, and like improvement defensively. And I think that the other part that we kind of didn't touch on is that it's easier to improve offensively as an individual and it's easier to improve defensively as a team because there's more that you can do to help each other. And so I think the Wolves are actually in a pretty good position in that sense because all of these guys kind of came in at the same time. And so they can learn the same schemes and kind of learn the tendencies of this new team simultaneously and develop together instead of having um, like multiple players at different levels of understanding of the defensive scheme, except for Kat, um, who's Edikogi, who's, you know, both of whom have a pretty good, I think, understanding of the scheme. I know we, that we see Kat like struggle on defense sometimes, but it does seem like he took some steps forward, at least schematically um, and kind of understanding where to be this season, even if the like individual defense wasn't where we wanted it to be. Um, but yeah, I think, I think, you can assess fit defensively um, and like you could do that even not in game. So I do think that that's, you know, something to think about. 
All right, um, let's move on to Nas Reed. Before we do that, um, you should head to our YouTube channel. I mean, not right now, but like after this, I just want to remind you to go to our YouTube channel. Um, we have all player highlights there. I think I cut Beasley's the other day. Those were fun. Nas Reed, um, very, very fun highlights. Everybody has fun highlights. So um, while the Timberwolves won't be playing in Florida in a month, um, doesn't mean you can't watch basketball. It won't be live basketball. It'll probably be games and highlights you've already seen before, but they'll all be put together for you. So go check that out. Um, one more thing. Did you guys see the Ben Simmons photo of him like absolutely ripped? And He's jacked out. And the, com- and the comment says, I think it said something along the lines of like, who can stop this man and don't say the three-point line? Isn't the obvious answer still the three-point line? No, man. I'm all in on Simmons. But he can't – like. But, but he, it doesn't matter. He's so if he good. Adds ten pounds of. I totally agree. I, like I think it's not going to make him a better three point shooter, but it's going to make him better at everything else. Sure, but like the one thing holding him back if is he that he try, can't if you drove to the well, if you drove to the basket on, imagine what would happen if Ben Simmons drove to the basket against you. Well, I mean, you'd like go into the like I would, fall I, through I the would, floor. I think I would die. But the, here's the thing: if Ben Simmons is, let's say, he's a ninety finisher right now sure all of a sudden gets to a 94 finisher that doesn't help him as much if all of a sudden he goes from a zero three-point shooter to a 10 three-point shooter i think that helps him more um what is the scale you're using is this like 2k ratings it's like yeah up to 99 that's all that's all i'm good Um, anyways go check that out i thought that was a funny tweet um we got about eight or nine minutes here for nas reed so you got me going on Ben yeah, Simmons. We, now. we can do a whole podcast committed to, to Ben Simmons, who I love. He's a great guy. I mean, not a, I don't know if he's a good guy, but he's a fun player to watch. He's unique. Um, okay, now's read. So, speaking of unique, this guy, um, undrafted, uh, he's high school American, um, goes to LSU. His freshman year is fine, um, but probably not as, as good as maybe he expected or people around him. So, he goes to the draft, gets undrafted, which after the draft, he tells us that that's something that he actually wanted to happen. He wanted, like, if he wasn't a first-round pick, he wanted to be undrafted so he could kind of pick his team and earn a guaranteed contract, which, ironically, he did. So he signed a summer league contract with the Timberwolves. I think everybody, I mean, like, everybody in Las Vegas when I was there for uh, what seemed like 85 days, but I think it was 13, um, they loved him and like a, a big guy that could shoot, he could pass. Uh, he, he has, he has like that point guard feel at, at the center position. Um, so the Timberwolves signed him to a two-way contract. Uh, after like a week, they signed him to a guaranteed contract, which if, if you look that up, it's, it's certainly quite the, the bargain for the Wolves. But um, Nas went up and down from, from Iowa to the Timberwolves. And he ended up playing 30 games for the Wolves, um, nine points, four rebounds. Um, you know, his numbers, like 40, 40% from the field, 33% from the three-point line. I don't know if um, those numbers do his game justice. Uh, and certainly he has a long ways to go before I think he's like a, a dependable rotational player. But certainly, like, I mean, for a player that was undrafted and, and you know, you didn't really know what he was going to give you, to a player that certainly looks like he's going to be an NBA player for a long time, uh, Katie, we can start with you. What what impressed you about Nas Reed's kind of a ascension this season um again I said this about Beasley too but just the confidence especially like if you listen to Nod's talk and again he's a rookie 20 years old so um doesn't have as much practice with the media but he's just very um very quiet a little bit timid but then you go you watch him play and he's just like not afraid to 
shoot from wherever, make crazy passes sometimes. Um, crazy as in good, but um, and just the fact that like he was going back and forth from Iowa and Minnesota and then became a starter and um and for 11 games and just I don't know just took advantage of the opportunity that was given to him and we've talked about how he might be back in Iowa a lot next year but um he definitely showed this team this year that um, why he should be a part of their future so I I think Katie that's a good point because like I think that like it's easy to look at Nas's game and say okay wow like he, he played 30 games in the NBA he played he started, I think, like nine or ten or eleven or some some games like that. Um, but but then I also think like, okay, this is a team that's going to pick him up and, and you know is projected to be a top three pick for a reason. So so I try not to get too excited when I see guys like him and McLaughlin playing big minutes. Um, so I think there is a scenario where we see Nas Reed back in Iowa next year and maybe like the third string center on the team, which is not a knock on him at all. Um, Julian, for, like as far as scouting goes and, and maybe the differences and I don't want to like compare this regime of the, the Timberwolves to, to the last regime, but like it is kind of unique. Um, the, the, like the resources and, and where like the Gerson Rosas, basically it seems like there's the stars and they want to get their top three or four guys. And then like, I mean, obviously the, 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 the middle pieces, but then they also these, these fringe guys that maybe people don't see them as potential NBA players um they've done a very good job scouting them yeah i agree i think it says a lot about the wolves approach to scouting and approach to the draft um because if you look at i don't know in many ways like the draft is obviously an i mean it's an extremely important tool for building um but at the same time i find that the last section of the draft is somewhat arbitrary in a lot of ways and i wouldn't really think that the success of players picked late in the second round is going to be all that different than players who are undrafted. There's just such a wide variety of skill sets. And at that point, like if you're getting into the back half of the second round, every single player you're taking is going to have some major weaknesses. And so, you know, it's all about kind of like weighing those weaknesses against each other and like also weighing whether or not you think those can be corrected. Um, in Nas's case, it's it's his defense, you know, like he's not a good defender. Um, but at the same time, if you think that he can improve that, um, then, you know, why not sign him as an undrafted free agent? I think we're going to see the Wolves continually doing this approach where they treat undrafted free agents with the same amount of rigor as they treat second round picks. Um, and I think there's a lot of merit to doing that. It makes a lot of sense. And I think that, there's like the reason that guys fall is either because like I'm trying to figure out the best way to put this. If a, if a guy is falling, it's either because people don't think his weakness is going to be corrected or because they think the weakness is like too big to be overcome. Um, or there's like a positive aspect of them that people are undervaluing. Like I don't think people realize that Nas would be as good on offense. Cause it seems like if there was scouting on Nas from other teams that said, um, you know, he's going to be really this good on offense, but need a lot of help on defense. Somebody would have taken him. So what's encouraging about this is it's both the wolves scouting a guy better than other teams. And secondly, it's them not letting um, like 
playing to the weaknesses of other teams as well. So like if they're like knowing that if this guy's going to go undrafted, like we're going to be ready to sign him and then we're going to get this thing that other teams aren't getting and we won't even have to use a pick on him. So I think that there's like a lot that's really smart um, and very detail oriented about um, kind of the way that the Wolves got Nas. And I think that that is a very, very positive sign um, just in terms of their approach for the whole draft you know like it's good that they're using this approach and they're using the same approach on their first round picks and their early second round picks so it's just really nice to see the level of nuance with which they're scouting totally agree and i think if you look at the like summer league every every year we fall in love with like two or three guys and normally it's for no reason because we just want those guys to you know like project into nba players and Nine, well, you nine, have to have something to talk about when you're in Vegas. It's well, true, well. too. Nine times out of the ten, though, it doesn't work out. Uh, this year, I mean, we saw guys like, you know, like Nas, um, Jordan McLaughlin, Ke- Keelan Martin play big roles for the Timberwolves down the stretch. And, again, I get it. Like, when your team's not good, you're going to see more of those guys than not. And, and, like, there were some injuries. But also, like, when they saw action, they looked like they belonged. So, I mean, what's uh, the point in having a bad team if you're not going to – 100%. Use it to suss like if, these guys out. Though, exactly. You know? if, yeah. if you're going to play guys that aren't going to get better when they're out there and develop, um, you're doing it wrong. And I think players like Nas Reed speak to how the Timberwolves, I think, want to bring the player development, that aspect back to, I, I remember when, when Flip Saunders was here, that was a huge part of his plan. And I think that we're, we're kind of back to that. But um, Zoom's going to kick us off here. So uh, Katie, Julian, you guys are awesome. Thanks for joining Thanks, me. Kyle. We'll be back you next week. I don't know who we're going to talk about because I don't have the schedule ahead of me, but we'll talk about three players next week um, and, and we'll probably go a little bit longer. So we'll, we'll figure that out. Maybe uh, maybe Rihanna will join. <laughs> I'll send her a text. It's always next week for that. I'll, I'll send her a text. All right. Uh, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. We'll talk next week. See you guys. Thanks. Bye.